Hey there, and welcome to the Punched and Played podcast. We're the sometimes funny, sometimes analytical podcast all about board games and the unique experiences they create. I'm one of your hosts, Sean Rose. I'm joined by Jonathan Baker. Hey, everybody. Clint Broadbent. Howdy. Coming through via Skype. But we also have a very special guest joining us today. We have the wonderful Mr. Rich Summer of actor and board game enthusiast fame. Hello, I'm the I'm the wonderful Rich Summer. That's a I, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> An excellent superlative. We're just happy to have you with us. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> so, how's your day been? It's been good. I actually just had a couple of buddies over. We played two rounds of a brand new one from Tasty Minstrel, and I'm not sure yet if it's even made the rounds, but it's called Bomb Squad Academy. It's like a it's a push your luck game, and you're trying to defuse bombs in training, I guess. And but they all they end up all going off. It's just how far <laughs> you can push it before they go off. And then we played Cipher, which is one of those AEG kind of the love letter sized games, little you know, 19 cards, you know, killing time kind of thing. Very fun. Very cool. That's my day. How are you guys doing today? Oh, we're uh, getting off of work. And actually, Jonathan's, he's an educator, so you're in the lull right now waiting for summer school. Is that right? I'm actually doing summer school right now, but <laughs> finished up for the day. So yeah, we're just getting off of work. No gaming for us today. Although we did do a game of D&D during lunch today. How I've never played D&D. Can you pick it up and set it down that easily? It's been rough. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I would think so. I would think so. I mean, just from what I know about it, it seems like the kind of thing you have to be able to sit for a pretty extended amount of time to play. Yeah, and honestly, the people in our, my office are kind of open to new gaming experiences, but mm. I think they might feel a little over their head with the D&D adventure we're on right now. So Sure, sure. And this is actually my first D&D. One of my coworkers has actually been very involved with it. That's kind of what we've been experimenting with. Was it hard to pick up? I mean, as someone, again, like me, who's really almost never played a role-playing game. I mean, I've played a couple, but but really very few. Is it easy to pick up, or does it take, is there a hefty learning curve? It's nice having someone who knows what they're doing. Sure, <laughs> sure. But for the most part, I mean, I think just going with an open mind, the dungeon master kind of explaining kind of his way of running the sessions. He wants to give us lots of freedom. He's all about the storytelling aspects. And so I gotcha. think making sure everyone's on the same page, it helps quite a bit. But Very fun. Yeah, we're doing it twice a week, and it's been a lot of fun. Nice. But another game that I've been playing, I've been kind of in playtesting mode recently. I've been playing the game Caravan by Plaid Hat Games. Caravan? Yeah. I don't know that one. They haven't put out a whole lot of information. I know they mentioned some about it on one of the more recent Plaid Hat podcast episodes. And then when we had Emerson on a few episodes back, he actually referred to it as the quintessential cube pusher it is cube pushing <laughs> excellent but yeah it's it's very interesting it's a it's a euro style game from plat hat which we really haven't wow. seen that from them no not really that'll be fun yeah i i mean i i respect colby's taste so much i i'm sure i'll enjoy it but uh but i hadn't heard anything about that one yeah apparently he had tested emerson's design colby fell in love with it and decided he wanted to pick it up before anybody else could snatch it away from him very nice i like it a lot i'm really excited for the full release to come out because it's it's a lot of fun Jonathan, what have you been playing recently? I've been playing, surprise, surprise, a lot of uh, the Lord of the Rings LCG from Fantasy Flight. <laughs> That's Shaksha. I uh, talked Sean in coming over one day and trying it again. He's only played it maybe once or twice before. That's a game that I do play solo quite frequently. Uh, it's very challenging. It's got a very puzzly aspect to it, and uh, I enjoy it. Do you Are you caught up with it? I am not. I am so far okay. behind. I, I got into it only probably about six months to eight months ago, and I just buy a little at a time. And, and I've, I've been working my way through. I think I've only skipped one of the adventure packs 
just because wow. people said it, it wasn't one of the better ones. So I just skipped it and moved on. Do you, I, um, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I, I'm just like, I have lots of questions today. Um, <laughs> do you, do you find it to be extremely hard to beat that game? It's pretty tough. It's a tough game, right? The last game I, pl- well, the last game I played was this morning and I lost it pretty quickly, but I mean, I just got my butt handed to me every time I played it just worked. How, mu- how much of it do you have? Do you score set or more than that? I was, well, when I was playing it, I had the core set and mm-hmm. probably first four or so decks, but I'm not really good at building decks. Yeah. That's the other thing. It's, it, was, it was my first attempt at building a deck in anything, and I was just routinely getting massacred. It, it's tough. Yeah. Um, yeah. I actually had to go online and get some kind of advice as far as deck building. There's some great resources out there. There's a website called Tales from the Cards that gives you a lot of new player oh, yeah. guide stuff. It just gives you the basic concepts. I had played Magic before, so I had some of that, but there's also some other ways to think about things that you had to kind of have to master. I have started, I, I still, I, I'm way behind as well. I'm not even trying to keep up. I started just focusing on the Saga expansions Yep, and kind of got rid of all the others just because I like the story of that so much. There's something for me to grab onto the tangible, you know, the movies I've seen basically. But I wonder if I'm going to be at a serious disadvantage only having the Saga expansions you know what I mean? I mean, I did it that way just to keep it simple enough that it would make sense to me when I started doing it again. Uh, so I didn't have five million decks to choose cards from. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's uh, I'm probably going to be uh, right back where I started just getting uh, whipped, <gasps> yeah. whipped by the monsters. Well, the game that we played, we just kind of barely scraped by. We did. And then whenever you played again later on, both of the characters were at 49 threat. Yep. And you, wow. as soon as you hit fifty, you're you're you're, you're, out. Du- you're so, out. So right. I finished on the very last round. It was wow, crazy. you limped, you limped yep. across. But yeah, I've enjoyed the Lord of the Rings uh, collectible, uh, well, sorry, living card game. Yeah, don't call it collectible. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know if I'm ready to jump into another living card game. I uh, just don't know if I can have it in me. Well, it's a drain. Holy it is God. a drain. It really is. Clint, what have you been playing? Well, I actually had a couple opportunities to play a few games, which was which was pretty exciting. After kind of the same thing, schools kind of died down, so I have a little extra time to play some games. But one of the big ones that I got to play was a game called Evolution by Northstar Games. This one has been kind of tops on my playlist. It was it kind of came out in BGG Con last year, and I really wanted to play it, but I never got an opportunity to. But I got an opportunity a little while ago played a six-player game, which always kind of makes me nervous. First time playing and playing a six-player game. But it really cooked along. It can go up to six players. It's an evolutionary game. It's talking about dinosaurs and how you can create different dinosaurs with different adaptions and you guys are fighting for food and everything's going along like a nice Euro game until someone becomes a carnivore and then it's <laughs> a, you know, then it's an Ameritrash, you know, eat your neighbor, uh, you know, eat that guy. Don't eat me. Eat the other guy. It was really fun. It was simple. You can teach it in, my, I think, about five minutes and just be taking off. It didn't overstay its welcome. I thought it was a it was a really well-made game. It's a lot lighter than it looks like it's going to be, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Well, Dominant Species is one of my favorite games, and that one will make smoke come out of your ears. So when I thought <laughs> saw this, I was like, ooh, you know, they're apples and oranges. It was a, It was a good surprise for me. I liked it. My kids played that with you, didn't they? The next day, they were raving about it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and uh, I remember one of your sons did not like it when I, I, one of my nice little small animals became a carnivore and <laughs> and saw his his little tiny smaller carnivore, and I, I, I t- took advantage of that. Was this Joel? Yeah, it was. It was Joel, and he was pointing to his sister like, eat her! 
eat her. Oh, please. His also fatal mistake was taking my advice. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it was, it was, it was, t- it was a lot of fun. Uh, my only qualm against it was I, I felt like there wasn't enough diversity in the cards. I felt like I kept drawing the same traits over and over. Actually, I was talking to a friend about it, and he was mentioning uh, he's mentioning how there's an expansion uh, for it, like the flight expansion. So I'm really excited to check this game out. Uh, it was a def- definite thumbs up for me. I think that expansion is going to... I haven't played with the expansion yet, but I think that it's going to make a good game... I mean, if, if the reports are true, and if what I've read about the cards seems, the feeling I'm getting is accurate, I think it's going to make it a pretty great game. I'm, and yeah. I, think, I think it's a good game, uh, but, yeah. but I think it might be great. I'm excited. I, I, would, I would agree with you. I, I think this is one of those ones that I think with one e- expansion, I think it's, it's for a gamer, I think it's a little, it's, it's on the simple side. And I mm-hmm. think if you can just add just a little bit more diversity, a few more tactical options, I think I kind of agree with you. I think that it'll, it'll go to the next level. Yeah. So our main topic for tonight is really to talk about our experiences with gaming with kids, because all of us have kids, as far as I know. (laughs) Yep. Beatrice and Patrick. Yep. B is seven. She'll be eight in December. And Patrick is four. He'll be five at the end of August. Jonathan, I think you have all of us beat combined. I have six kids. (laughs) Holy cow. (laughs) Why? Yep. The ultimate worker placement. <laughs> family growth action. Yeah, family growth action. <laughs> um, can you? Are you keeping them all fed? Yes. Okay. Well. Good. Good. <laughs> Don't take those begging cards. <laughs> yeah, I have two kids. I have Logan, who's five, and then I have Henry, who's just his only thing with board games is coming up to the table, grabbing tokens, and running away with them. So <laughs> he's only two years old right now. And Clint, you have two as well. Yeah, I have. Uh, I have two. I have two wonderful little girls. I got one that just turned three, and another that is uh, just they turned eight months. So. Oh, so you've got a little time yet. Got the small ones. So I'm really kind of curious. How have we approached trying to introduce gaming to our kids? Because I think all of us have played games with our kids. For me, it's always the challenge of trying to wanting to introduce them to newer games beyond the Candyland and Shoots and Ladders, but still making it approachable for them as well. So have there been any games in particular that have been really big successes for you, Rich? A lot of the Haba games have been really big hits. Oh, yeah. Uh, they really, you know, Habas. First of all, they're they're a great company. I mean, they make really excellently made games, and clearly they focus a little on on the the younger age set. And they're not really slouching on interactivity and decision making. I mean, that's really that's the 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 big threshold, right? Is is whether you get to make decisions in a game or not. I think you know that big difference between say your shoots and ladders, your game of life, and the games that we play, the main difference is making your own decisions, thinking for yourself. And those hobby games, I mean, that, and and lots of other children's focus games, but, you know, Rhino Hero has been big with the kids. Mm-hmm. Animal Upon Animal, the smaller version, has been a big hit. And then also, who's that company? Eric Summerer always says their name. Dry Magier Spiel. Yes, yes. Uh, they also make some really great kids' games. Great components, simplified rule sets, Stuff that's easy for even my almost five-year-old to pick up with absolutely no problem. I mean, he's not making like super calculated decisions on each turn, but he certainly is learning that that's a facet of games that is enjoyable. And I think that's 
what's most important. Yeah, Animal Upon Animal was the first game I actually think I bought my son. And when we first started out, I think he just liked playing with the animal pieces. But over time, he started realizing that, oh, there is some strategy in here in terms of if you roll the die result where you have to give someone else one of your pieces, trying to give the other player your trickiest piece to put on the board. Right. So he's gotten pretty crafty with that game over time. Yeah, I also think that Pokemon Animal was the first one that I got my daughter. It was just perfect pieces. She can stick them in her mouth. They're not too, they're not too big. They're not too small. It was perfect. <laughs> Is that how you judge kids' games of how good they are in their mouth? Uh, yes, because that's <laughs> undoubtedly where they go. So true. Go. So true. I stay away from card games, specifically. Uh-huh. It's uh-huh. a good idea. Jonathan, you're, the range of your kids. My oldest is 22, um, and my youngest is, just turned seven last month, so kind of got a wide range. So mine are, most of them are playing, you know, b- bigger, more complicated games than Animal on Animal. My youngest loves Forbidden Island and Forbidden Desert, for example. Those are some of his favorites. Your seven-year-old is playing those. Yes. Oh, yes. Are they, do you feel that that was a that was no no problem? Because I've I've thought about those for my seven-year-old, but I wasn't sure. Um, was. No problem at all. Really? No oh, problem great. at all. He was actually teaching the game to some people who came over the other night. So. Oh, that's great. Okay. Cool. Yeah. At, at this point, my my son is all about the dexterity games. Mm-hmm. I went to BGG Con and picked up coconuts there, and oh my gosh, <laughs> that game is crazy. <laughs> yeah, they they like that. One. And Clint, you're you're the one that introduced it to us, right? Yes. Yeah. That was that was at the top of my list. Also, that is the ultimate toy that passes as a game. <laughs> I, I've never, I've never brought that out without someone just going just crazy about it. My parents bought, I think, six copies of it. Oh my gosh! Away. They, they, they. We loved it so much. You can still find coconuts lying around our house. It's just <laughs> such a big. It was. It's such a bloodbath, but it, it it is. It's amazing. Rich, have you played coconuts with your kids? Oh yeah, yeah. I actually just this weekend I went to a housewarming for a friend in Minnesota, and my kids weren't there. But I, while all the grownups were in games except for me, because I took a quick nap. I came out and there were just kids running everywhere and I gathered a group of them and taught coconuts. I know there were a few coconuts missing by the end, but you know, it's a small price to pay mm-hmm. for keeping the kids occupied <laughs> for a little while. Uh, I, I, I really like coconuts. I've also had great success with tumbling dice. I don't know if you guys have played that one, but it's a dexterity game. Obviously, you're rolling dice and uh, sort of based on where they land, they can knock other dice out of the way. They can, then they land on multipliers. So you want a big number landing on a big multiplier. That's your goal. Mm-hmm. But I find that my kids are just as good at that game as I am. I mean, that's always great when you can find those games. Like they say that Gulo Gulo, which is finally being reprinted, oh, I think, great. with an Egyptian theme. I don't remember what the new name is, but they are, they're reprinting it finally. But they say that Gulo Gulo is one that kids might even be better at than adults because they're small fingers can grasp the the pieces a little easier it's a dexterity game as well i love those games if i can find those games where there's sort of uh the line is blurred between my skill level and their skill level that's that's the ultimate and coconuts actually kind of fits in that category as well one of the other things that i got logan into was loop and louie uh-huh <laughs> and i have found adults that actually have enjoyed that game a lot. I know there's a lot of competition with uh, within Loop and Louie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's that toy factor, especially kind of speaking for Mike. It's, of course, uh, Lacey, my, my eight-month-old, isn't playing games. But Hadley is as young as two. I started bringing out games for her to play. And they were toys, you know. They were toys. And I, as we were kind of playing with the toys, I would kind of introduce a small rule 
that she would try to play with. And I feel like, you know, sometimes when the kids get super young, if you really kind of push it on a child and say, no, 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 you can't, you can't do that. No, that's not what you do. I think if you kind of roll with the child, they always, they'll tend to, to glom onto a game quicker than if you try to say, well, no, you have to play by the rules. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the games on my list have a, you know, we'll try to play the game, but if she wants to go in a different direction with the game, I'm really keen to change the rules of the game to kind of accommodate her and help her find the fun in each of the games that I bring out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I was thinking about this question, you know, what kind of games should we be looking for kids? I was kind of trying to think of some categories and some qualifiers. And I was kind of thinking about, you know, difficulty level. I was thinking about the the attention span of the kids that you're thinking about, the length of the game. And I was also thinking about the components and the artwork, because I think those are very appealing to kids. And of course, you know, the overall question, is it fun? Are you making interesting decisions in the game? And I know my, my youngest, Luke, he's played Lords of Waterdeep, and he totally understands what he's supposed to do and he does fine for a couple rounds but eventually he runs out of steam and just kind of gets distracted and can't really focus so i mean that's an example of a game that doesn't really match up with his attention yeah, span that's been a, length a is little bit of an issue is just trying to keep the kids interested because again we want to i i love the idea of playing games obviously and i want to be able to foster that that love of games if they want to within my kids as well but again trying to make sure you find that good balance between Something that's going to be at their level, but also keep their attention as they're going. And that's one of the things, again, like the the game like Magic Labyrinth and the Enchanted Tower. Those are just very colorful and very simple rules, and I, I love those games. And they're so neat. They kind of have the little gimmicky aspects, like the Magic Labyrinth has the magnetic maze, where you really, it's an invisible maze. And so you will have a little ball bearing underneath your piece as you're sliding across. As soon as you hit a wall, your ball bearing will fall off, and it lets them know, oh, there's a wall there. So it's kind of the memory aspect of having to try to figure out how to navigate the maze and find the pieces they're trying to collect. Mm -hmm. I actually had a really cool experience last week with Magic Labyrinth with my daughter. Kind of cool how how gameplay kind of evolved. I set up the game. I read the rules, set up the game. Uh, She got it for her third birthday. And of course, that kind of came. That came from Daddy. Mommy got to buy her a dress. Daddy bought her a board game. <laughs> um, so, uh, but we set up the game, and we and I told her the rules of the game and how there are, you know, there are there are these little walls, and if you run into it, the ball falls down the chute, and and you'll know that you've hit a wall. And we played for maybe ten minutes, and she had no clue what I was talking about. And so I kind of thought about it for a little bit. I took out some of the wall pieces. And, you know, we decided that they, each of the little tokens were treasures. So they were like a bat. And I'd say, well, okay, so we're going to go get the bat treasure. And she was really excited. And so what we would do is she would start at a starting space. She'd get the ball bearing on her piece. And then she would move the piece from square to square to see if she could get to the bat treasure. And if the ball bearing fell, I'd take the extra walls so what I did is I just took some of the extra wall pieces and I, I stood it where the, where the wall piece was under it. And what she did instead, she, she started to try do this trial by error. And so she'd keep trying to get to the bat treasure and we would move it and we'd place those walls where, she, you know, if she would run into a wall. So she could continue to learn the board as she was going around and she was enthralled. We probably played for forty-five minutes, oh, wow, and she neat. she wept when we turned when we had it. We had to put uh, put it away to eat. Um, she really got into it. You know, she she likes uh, pirates and treasure, 
and she loved it. And I think that that was that was kind of a big success story with where we didn't play exactly by the rules, but we played a game with some similar rules, and and she had a great time. She had a memorable experience. Oh, that's great. Now I I know that you have a bit of a history with Uno. i know have you you play uno with your kids yes they love it actually they you know it's a it's a very easy game to grasp it sort of starts to kind of lean on that thing i was talking about where i want to give them games where they're making decisions right there aren't a ton to make in uno um (laughs) and so it's especially if you're not keeping score which we're not I mean, keeping score in Uno only adds about one half of a percent of uh, <laughs> complexity. But it's they love it. They absolutely love it. And it's fun because, you know, everybody knows how to play Uno. So when we were at the cabin in Minnesota last week, we were able to pull it out. And, you know, we played with the grandparents and the aunts and the kids. You know, it's, it's, they, it's a good – it is good in that way. There's a game that everybody can play together. Absolutely. And, again, I'm always looking to find those those – great classic games and then trying to find ways to kind of springboard off of that to introduce newer slowly introducing more complexity within the game so oh yeah have there been any other games that have been really great successes for you and your family any any of the games that they play are going to have you know they they want to play things that their friends are playing right they want to play shoots and ladders my daughter came home from school one day saying she wants to play life and i said well i don't have that game and i don't want to i didn't tell her that but <laughs> yeah, i said yeah, for I don't, reason. Plan, don't plan on having that game but you know, I, I do have other games that maybe we can play that are sort of like that. You know, what would have been really good are those, the Tales and, is that what they are? Tales and Games from Yellow. Oh, the, yeah. um, the Three Little Pigs and mm-hmm. the Ant and the Grasshopper and Baba Yaga. And there's one more. Tortoise and the Hare. Yeah, Tortoise and the Hare. Uh, those are really great because many of them include variants that you can sort of uh, introduce complexity as you need to. So I could play one version with the four-year-old and one version with the seven-year-old that has a little more complexity to it. And those games are perfect for starting to introduce the mechanisms that then are the building blocks for the, the bigger, more complex games. I really Those have also been a big success. Yeah, I haven't actually had an opportunity to play any of them. They've been on my radar, but I, I've seen the Three Little Pigs, but I have not picked it up. They're really great. The kids love them, and they feel like games for me. You know they're very light, but they are still gamer games. You know they the the way that they play, it's not really fooling around. It's nice. There's also another game. Have you heard of Robot Turtles? Yes, I have that. Mm-hmm. That's been a really big hit with them as well. And again, playing different versions for each age. Um, you know, my four year old is still doing the most basic. You know, laying out the the sequence of cards. For people who don't know it, it's it's an introduction to coding. It's like what. When I was in elementary school, we were learning learning logo on the the Apple IIe or whatever it was, <laughs> where you make the turtle go up one, right two, up one. You know, you make make the turtle move, and that's basically what the game is. And it's something that they find very it's very intuitive, and they they get it. And I think that's that's been a fun one too. That one is a lot of fun, and I especially like that that it has kind of the unlockables as they kind of master the different aspects of the game. You can introduce that added complexity mm-hmm. as you move forward. So that one has, we had a little bit of a rough start with that one. I know that Tom Vassell was just very excited about Robot Turtles based upon his experience. I'm like, oh, wow, I want to try this with my kid. And I think it would just take a little bit of time to kind of grasp the concepts, but I think now he's more and more excited to unlock those new things to see if he can figure out how to melt the ice 
walls and stuff like that. So, right, right. Yeah. The one thing that I've encountered that's been an issue is this whole delicate balance of making sure the kids are having fun with the game while you're still... Cause you, you want to be involved in the process too. But this whole thing about... Do you go easy on your kids? Do you, I mean, not so much going, letting them win, but how do you balance that fun factor versus kind of trouncing them at these fairly basic games? That's been something that I've kind of struggled with quite a bit. I don't know what you guys' thoughts are. This is one that I've uh, really struggled with. I'm uh, hyper competitive. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember playing with my wife and my daughter, who was a. Uh, she was probably about eight. My oldest, she's 22 now. But she was about eight, and we were playing um, the I Spy series of books. I Spy, uh, some kind of a mystery game based on that. It had matching, and it had little clues and stuff. And at one point, I got too hyper-competitive with it, and uh, next thing I knew, she was off crying and <laughs> wouldn't play anything with me for a while. So well, you showed her. Uh, <laughs> I know. It's sad. <laughs> but luckily, eventually, I was able to get her to play games with me again. But I, that, that's something I personally just have to, to balance really carefully. My sons are also really interested in Summoner Wars. We play that. And it's just that fine line of, you know, how hard are you going to push it? You know, what's an appropriate handicap for yourself? Not to let them win necessarily, but to not just totally dominate. I mean, I follow the same rule with my kids that I do with anyone that I'm teaching a new game, which is... I want to make sure they understand the ramifications of each move they make. Right. So at I'll put it this way, I rarely win when I'm teaching someone a game. <laughs> because I want I will say, okay, now before you make that move, understand that here are the, the these are the possible outcomes of what you're doing. And I'm not saying I have this card, but if I did, then this could happen. Or if you do this, you're leaving yourself open here for me to come in and do this. So feel free to make the move, but I just want to make sure you know what is at stake if you do that. And I do the same thing with my kids, in a, you know, trying it in a simpler way, obviously, because we're playing simpler games. But beyond that, I don't really, I don't really hold back that much because I, I find that when I do that, I don't need to really hold back because they will end up, I mean, I, I end up sort of guiding them to winning because I would much rather they have a good first experience with a game and come back for more than to you know, I've told this story, I told it on my podcast too, but yeah. of being taught Axis and Allies where a guy, the guy who taught it to me, every time I'd make a move would say, here's why that was a bad move because now I'm doing this, this, and this. And it, I mean, it was like 45 minutes of me being punched in the face and I was just like, I don't ever want to play that game again. Why would I, or or play a game with you? Why mm -hmm. would I want to? That's not mm -hmm. fun. And I don't, I'm just, I mean, I'm competitive in the way that I try to win when I play games, but I'm not, gener I don't, cotton well to just sort of abuse in games whether yeah. it, you know however it's however it uh, is manifested so i i while i don't necessarily let them win i do make sure that they understand each move they're making and how to make the most informed decisions they can absolutely Clint, what, you, what have your experiences been? I kind of feel the same way. I, I, I feel like, again, kind of being the, the teacher is, that, you know, what's the goal of a game? And for me, right now, Hadley, the goal of the game is for her to have fun. I think that that's kind of interesting listening to Rich. I, I could totally see that he, he, you know, Rich has a good idea of, you know, that, that kind of the goal of, of the, the thing is to help these children learn executive decision making. How can I look at these rules and how can I operate best within them? 
And I, I think that I really see the way that I do it, but I see how it kind of it changes as the children get older. I'm one of those parents that, uh, you know, once Hadley understands how to learn how to play a game, I'm going to definitely teach her how to play. But I guarantee you that, you know, there, there'll come a time where I'll, I'll, well, we've played the game 10 or 20 times, and then I'm going to say, you know, hey, I, I'm going to let you make the decisions now, and we can talk about, you know, it afterwards, but I want you to make the decisions without me having, you know, without me having to prompt you. And I, I, I feel like, you know, Jonathan, I, I t- touch this into you, is has your approach with teaching games or playing with your children changed over the last 20 years that you've had kids? I would say definitely. And I just think maybe some of my competitive attitude has kind of cooled off a little bit. But it definitely has. I mean, it's just the joy of seeing them make those interesting decisions, seeing them process their choices, uh, learning to think ahead. I also really like playing cooperative games with them too because we get to practice some teamwork and you know, work out different strategies together. I, we usually don't really have very many problems with the alpha player because we do a good a good job of discussing all of our options together and just kind of suggesting different things. That's why Forbidden Island, Forbidden Desert have been really successful. Yeah, I kind of had that same that same feeling though that Rich had. Uh, one of my one of the, my best memories I ever had with with my grandfather um, who just passed away. Um, one of the best things I'll always remember with him is playing chess with him, and it was the exact same thing is got to play chess and I still remember just trying to move the pieces like I learned how to move the pieces I just started moving the pieces and he started saying and point aside and say oh okay you know why why did you make this move and I was just like well I don't know I just know that the horse moves this way and so he started thinking oh okay so that kind of puts me in a good position to take your piece here you know what might be a better move and I really appreciated my grandpa you know, taking the time to kind of help me walk through those things. I, one of the major building blocks of me liking games was that mental exercise that I kind of learned through trial and error with my grandpa teaching me chess. Well, I think that you, you it, it doesn't take long, even if you are an uber competitive person, I would think, it doesn't take long to realize it's not that fun to stomp on someone who's not as good at a game as you are. Exactly. And so... It, it behooves your grandfather or whoever you're, you're teaching to to get people closer to your level so that you can win and actually feel like you did something. Because yeah. if, if I sit down, you know, if I pulled out, you know, Demacher with my seven-year-old, I <laughs> guarantee you I could win and win well. Um, <laughs> but, but I don't know why I, it wouldn't be like that fun. For any of us, <laughs> so it it doesn't really uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I never understand. I guess I've just I'm always sort of perplexed by the must win mentality. I mean, I try to win when I play games, but I and I have I have I have one game group that I play with pretty regularly, you know, because I'm desperate to play games, <laughs> and I and I love these guys as individuals, but as game players, they drive me nuts because. We like, for example, we played Smarty Party last night. Mm-hmm. That is a fun trivia game, light yep. trivia game, and they trash talk. They start the timer before the person has even had like a second to think. Oh god! They they uh, <laughs> quibble with responses. They call you an idiot when you didn't know. And I'm like, what? And last night, I'll admit, I try to be like a really laid back player, and last night I got a little frustrated now to be fair it was about 
twelve thirty in the morning, and I was tired, <laughs> and I'm a little sick. Sure. But somebody called. They were like, "Why are you being so quiet?" And I said, "Because I don't understand." Why you play the way you play? It doesn't make any sense. I don't know why you're so mean to each other. It's a trivia game. I was so frustrated. <laughs> I, can only I can't. I was like, "What are you so like? What are you talking about? Who cares?" And they like, they will pick, you know, who because you know the person reading gets to pick who reads first or who who answers first in Smarty Party, and it's a slight advantage. So they really think about. They're like, "Well, I don't want to give him the advantage." I'm like, "Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? This is an R and R games." trivia game <laughs> it is I, I just i was like i can't i literally i was like, i can't believe you people i don't understand that mentality yeah mm-hmm. uh anyway sorry i went down a rabbit no hole no there. you're fine and actually <laughs> that's the thing is trying to whenever you're gaming not just with kids but in general is this there's always when you're playing a game there's gonna be that desire that you want to win of and, course yeah absolutely but then you got to think about the game you're playing. Like last night, my family just got back from out of town. I told my son, we'll play any game you want. And he picked what he said. I asked him today what his favorite game was. And I'm thinking he chose it solely because we played it last night. At least I hope so. We played Candyland. <laughs> 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 and he just gets so down when he doesn't win. And I explained to oh. him that, you know, this game has a lot of luck in it. You know, the decisions you make, you don't have a lot of decisions. Really don't yeah. have any decisions in this game. No. B- but again, just trying to encourage them that, you know, in this game, it's about having the fun, the experience, and trying to explain to him that, you know, perhaps you're getting to a point where maybe Candyland's too basic for you. So again, trying to help him to understand that it's not all about winning all the time. Well, and also he doesn't know, I mean, kids don't know that why Candyland sucks. Right. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Like. They, they, or they don't know why they're bad at it, I should say, or why they're not winning. Yeah. And that it's not their fault because definitely people think, I think for people not in the hobby or even very early into the hobby, you think a game is a game is a game, which is why they, you know, people will buy LCR and Puerto Rico in the same shopping trip when they're first getting into board games. And <laughs> they don't know, you know, right. they don't know that there's no different that there that there's a giant and chasm massive. between those two. Mm-hmm. That one is, you know, one of the greatest games of all time, and one is LCR, uh, a miserable <laughs> way to uh, have a game play you. And it's mm-hmm. like, it, but there's a big difference. You and when people tell me they're good at LCR, I really don't know how to have a conversation with that person. Exactly, <laughs> like I don't know. I have to go, okay, and then be done having the conversation because we're obviously never going to agree on anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I, because I don't, I, you know. So, so I can understand. My, my kids too, they get sad when they feel like they aren't winning, but you have to point out, I think that's a perfect thing. I'm, I'm, so, that's, I'm so glad you said that because that actually kind of makes so much sense to me that, that, that they, don't, they don't understand the difference between a game where they earn a win or a game where uh, someone just wins because someone has to win. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, one of the things for me is that, and you can definitely do it. I mean, I, I, have, I, I have a therapist background. So unfortunately, sometimes you run into people and you're like, you, you know, you diagnose in the, in the office and then all of a sudden you, you go out and play some games and you're like, oh, oh boy, <laughs> you know. And I think that some people just naturally – uh, you got the one where the guy can attach his ego to anything, and yeah. uh, that's exactly what those board games are a a validation. You know, yeah. if I win, I am better at life than you are. You yeah, know, right. and it's just like, oh boy, 
Again, you know, it's it's tough. I think playing with kids is actually, I think playing with kids is actually a good teacher in kind of lessening that, because yeah. again, it changes. You know, you you don't want to you don't want to sit there. I I'm not kidding you. I I just got done playing a pretty pretty princess with my daughter. Oh, I want to see uh, that, Clint. Oh, you should see. It. I looked fabulous, <laughs> and uh, and I played it. And you know what? It was so fun and i think that that's kind of it's just like what is your goal with games and my daughter just felt like she was a princess she won she may have had a little help but she definitely won when i told her she won and she was all dressed up in the jewels she was just like wait daddy daddy you you need to win you know and (laughs) well let's win together kind of thing and so we got another crown and we danced together i mean it was like I said, it was hardly a game. It was hardly a game. But I definitely think that that playing with kids and definitely being the, you know, maybe the the game the gamer that, you know, in my old group, I was the one that was teaching the games. And right. again, it really took away a lot of that competitive nature. Oh, yeah. uh, sure, I wanted to play, but man, I I just I know Sean and I do this too. I love just teaching people a game. And watching like the wheels turn, I don't even need to play. No, I just really good. enjoy it, and I think that that's just that's something you can really learn from your kids is, and you can really pass on to your kids is that idea that playing games is to have fun. And I think that that's I think playing it and getting along well with others will set you off further in in life than than being competitive and always having to win. Oh, absolutely. And for me, I think it's all about the type of experience you're wanting to foster through the game. Because, I mean, Mm -hmm. again, it just depends on kind of what you go into the game wanting to get out of it. Yep. But one thing that I've been kind of encountering is that when my wife and I, when we actually have an opportunity to play a game, my son's becoming increasingly more interested in watching us play. Mm -hmm. Mm. Because we get out uh, Mice and Mystics, which, again, has immediately drawn him in into that that world. It's probably the voice on the audio. <laughs> uh, that guy is terrible. I, it, it can't be that. I just read out of the book because I can't handle that voice. I heard him at E3. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I saw that you were. I was watching the E3 uh, press conference for Sony's, and I was like, wait a minute. That's Rich Summer. <laughs> so you did, you're doing a, you did the voice work for uh, Firewatch, right? That's right. Yeah. We're um, probably about halfway done with it. And uh, yeah, it's it's been a really pretty phenomenal experience. I've been working on it for about a year and I record it from, I have a booth at home, so I record it from home and it's been a pretty spectacular experience. I'm a fan of those kinds of games anyway, that, that Walking Dead series from Telltale. Oh yeah. I mean, that's a, that, for me, that sort of reinvigorated me on video games. I like video games fine, but that was, that was a different kind of experience and I really dug it. And the guys who wrote the first and second Walking Dead series for Telltale left Telltale and started their own company called Campo Santo. And those are the guys uh, that I'm working with on um, Firewatch. And it's pretty exciting. It's been that, pretty exciting. That's fantastic. I'm really looking forward that's to awesome. it. It looks right up my alley as well. I think it'll that's be, awesome. uh, I, I think people, uh, I hope people like it. I, I, it's, it's a game I would enjoy, I think. So hopefully others will too. I know we're going off on a tangent here a little bit, but but I know that I have a little bit of a love for video games because you did some you did some work on L.A. Noir as well, along with yeah, other well, Madman well, people. Yeah, one of the one of the, actually both of the guys I had over today were uh, were in L.A. Noir. One was Aaron Staten, who played Cole. Yeah, uh, 
uh, who was the lead, and then Michael Gladys, who also was. Uh, we were both characters somewhere in there that were interrogated. That was really fun. That was a whole different uh, ball of wax because that was recorded live on camera with the ping pong balls yeah. and the whole thing. That was uh, that was really 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 weird. I can <laughs> but, imagine, but very I- fun. It was weird because you know we're acting. You know, I'm acting with Aaron mm-hmm. as I have so many times before, sitting across a table from him. Except now we're in these you know full body spandex and ping pong balls and. Oh boy, that was a weird one, but it was really fun. Well, they were doing testing it, some new technology with the whole performance capture thing, and I mean, yeah. it looks. I mean, the, the, I think the performances were really captured very well in those, but I can imagine just how awkward that had to have been doing that. I mean, Aaron was there forever. I worked for two days. He worked. I think he worked for like sixty days. Oh uh, my gosh, business days straight. I mean, it was like, and it was all day. He was in there all day. He was in that suit all day. He actually worked you know that's a long game it is and he he acted every scene with the actors in the scene live in a room three or four times you know you don't do it in one take you do Mm -hmm. it a bunch and holy cow i mean the amount of work he had to do on that thing I, i don't think any even if that game had become the biggest game in the world i don't know that any a claim would have been enough to make up for how much he and his family had to invest in that game. It was I crazy. Only imagine, my gosh! Crazy. So at least you only had to do a couple days, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. No, I got my taste, and I was like, "Great, cool, have fun, bye." <laughs> <laughs> That's see, you, see you in three months when you come out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so to get us back to board games, I guess again the the other game that he's been, my son's been kind of watching us he's now the designated dice roller in this game is uh star wars imperial assault oh <laughs> so yeah. good yeah i love that one jonathan had it can uh, played it enough we didn't get to play it that much i'm like okay i need to get a copy for myself got it for my birthday finally hooray and uh i think my son is there solely to watch and wait for the at walker to come out <laughs> <laughs> but that's a game too that i mean it tells a story pretty clearly and you can say well i'm going to do this with this piece and we're going to see what happens i mean by watching just by virtue of watching that game your son's going to be able to play that pretty soon i mean you can put him in charge of just one character or something and have him play on your turns i mean it's it it's a it's actually not that the whole is complex mm-hmm. and complicated but like i always say about demacher the whole is complex but each individual step is incredibly simple, and and same goes for Imperial Assault. I think there's not each individual step. If you're able to kind of hold his hand a little bit, it's uh, it's actually very tangible, very graspable. Absolutely, and we did one story within Mice and Mystics. I think my wife and I were playing, and then she had to go off to, to do something else, and so he sat down, took her place, and I kind of walked him through it. But we finished that story, and. And actually, this was our second playthrough because my wife and I failed the first time, but together we actually got through the story uh, part where Brody comes out and just beats us up. So, it, again, I'm I'm really looking forward to that moment when we can finally get that game out. So, I'm kind of curious, are there games that you hope that you'll one day get to play with your kids? Or, I guess in Jonathan's case, since you've got a wider range, are there games that you wish your kids would actually play with you? Lord of the Rings, Living <laughs> I'm so sorry. They always turn their noses up whenever I, I try to pull out those cards. But um, 
other than that, they've been pretty good. I mean, my boys have really enjoyed playing Imperial Assault with me. Um, they were crushing me. They're the Rebels, of course. They crushed me the first five or six games. Finally, finally I was able to sneak one of the probe droids over and blow it up right as they're about to escape with the with the prisoner or whatever and, and stop them from winning one of them. And, and, and then the last time we played, I, somehow I was able to pull out a big stormtrooper just overrun. So I finally got to win two of that, but we've kind of got stuck in our campaign. But that's been a lot of fun. My Semistics has been fun, too with the kids. They've played that one a lot with me. How about you, Clint or Rich? Are there any games that you hope to one day get to play with your kids? Yeah, for me, I guess, just kind of chiming in, I, I, there's not a particular game, but I just want to get my, I really want to get my girls into cooperative games. I think that those are just a treasure trove of, of great instruction of how to get along well with other people. And and I think games, like I said, are teaching tools in, in, a, in a large part. And I think that that's one of the most valuable things that the, that my daughter could learn that could really help, and uh, so I'm really hoping to get getting working her up to you know Forbidden Island, Forbidden Desert, some of those basic cooperative games, so that you know so that we can really kind of have fun together and we can kind of learn those valuable lessons. Uh, yeah, I mean, same here. There's no particular game. I mean, I I want to play all of them with them. <laughs> I yeah. think that uh, you know I want. I guess I'm just excited to see what they're into. You know, like anything in their lives, I'm excited to see where they land. They may not be into games, and sure. that's that's totally fine too. I mean, I, I always sum it up like I'm a Browns fan. I've always been a Browns fan, and we I had a football game on, and my son came in, and it was the Browns versus the Ravens, and obviously the Ravens are one of our most hated rivals, <laughs> right, for the yeah. Browns because they stole our team uh, under cover <laughs> of night, and. Uh, <laughs> That he said, who do you like? And I said, I like the guys in the orange helmets. And he said, I like the ones with the purple shirts. And I had this little, I, I mean, I genuinely had an epiphany. And it's not a big deal. The stakes are very low. But I was like, you, and, and I said, well, good. Then you, you root for those guys. Now, had my family been around, they would have been like, no, you hate the people in the purple shirts. You like the guys in the orange helmets. <laughs> and I was like, no, you know what? I don't, I, why, why would I wish a Brown's life on this kid? He, you know, he could get, <laughs> He should have whatever he wants in his life, and if he if it means he's going to like the Ravens, or if he's going to not care about football, I barely care about it. But or if he's going to not care about games or whatever, I just want to see what they're into. So as far as games, I hope they're into games because it'd be good to have like uh, live-in game buddies. Because my wife is not that, mm-hmm. uh, but I I kind of just want to see what trips their trigger. You know, are my kids going to be into war games or are they going to be into cooperative games specifically? Or are they going to be into abstracts? I mean, that would be great. I mean, I like abstracts, but what if my kids are like, no, I, it's Quirkle all the time. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, okay. Then I guess I'm getting into abstracts with you. I don't know. I just want to see. I'm just excited to see what they're into. That's awesome. I think that's a great mentality to have to kind of let them and not force kind of our interests upon them as well. Yeah. And, and, and obviously, I mean, as we expose them to games that we like i think inevitably there's going to be at least especially when they're younger the desire to want to like the things that your parents like until they hit a certain age and then that's not cool anymore but yeah so i i think at this point we're going to shift things over to our closing segment which we call the punch list i'm not sure if you're familiar with this rich what we do is one of us comes up with some category of a board game, some type of classification 
some something about a game in particular. And then they propose that question to everyone else. We don't know what it is, but we then have to pick a game that we deem punch-worthy. Uh, maybe not the best game, but maybe one we've considered to be a favorite or something like that. Okay. So Clint is actually going to do our punch list, and we don't know what it is, so we're in the same boat with you. Are you up for this? Oh, yeah. Okay. Be. All right. Clint, what do, you, what do you have for us? Really, I just kind of wanted to build off of this idea of playing games with kids, uh, with our kids. And my big question that it kept coming to my mind is, what game would I give a friend if I just wanted to get them down the rabbit hole of games? I mean, we just talked about, you know, I think we talked about, you know, Gulo Gulo. And if somebody were to see Gulo Gulo or something like that, they'd be like, what the heck is this guy giving me? <laughs> but like, you know, or, you know, we're talking about this, this Louie guy just viciously, you know, hitting chickens with his airplane and, and, you know. <laughs> I guess my, my question would be, and my, my question for the punch list would be, if you could give one game to, to somebody to help them, you know, to maybe spark an interest in board games for their kids, what game would you pick? Oh, that's a very, that's a very, very broad question because, I mean, you've got to take into consideration the age of the kid and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to, so I would, I would trim it down as you just had, you just had a kid I would say between the ages of about four and five. So they're starting to pick up how to follow rules. You know, they're starting to, they're kind of, they're going to start to kind of, kind of move on so they could actually play the game, you know, instead of just kind of following along or playing along with the rules. Oh, gosh. All right. I'll go. Oh, fantastic. Uh, I'm going to say, you know, it's sort of a gimme because my daughter recently talked about it, but Sorry Sliders, I think, is a perfect, perfect uh, game for exactly what you're describing because first off sorry is recognizable to people as a mass market game so it's not scary it's not weird it's not you know it's everybody's played sorry at some point so they Mm -hmm. it's recognizable in the form factor at least and then as far as the game goes it's super versatile you can play several different modes. You can set it up in a bunch of different ways. So you're getting a lot of game in the box. It's not going to get boring. A lot of replay factor. And it's something that genuinely kids and adults are about equally good at. You know, my kids from when we fir- when that first hit the table probably four years ago, three years ago, my daughter was probably four. Uh, and uh, then once my son could even reach the table, he was playing as well. And, you know, the scores are not ever wildly in my favor. So I think, I think that's the one I would go with that, that, that hits on what you're talking about. Getting them into games kind of, there's still, it's not ju- it is dexterity, but you're also, you know, you're, you have to calculate a little bit. Do I knock them out of the way? Do I go for the, the middle? Do I, you know, what am I trying to, to attain here? And I think that, that that sort of hits all those bases. Yeah, I completely agree. Sorry, Sliders. It has been a big hit, especially kind of as a closing filler with adults, and also the kids just love the the play factor. Yeah. Oh, that's the other thing is that it, again, adults like it. It's like Loop and Louie in that way. So, you know, after the kids go to bed, you still the, there's a chance that you could play it and kind of up the stakes. You know, play for money. That's what I'm saying. Play for money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the thing with so, sorry sliders, I completely agree with you. Um, I think for me, secretly wishing I was a curling player. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that one's been a lot of fun. And again, there is some some strategy in terms of 
do you try to, again, whichever board you're playing on, are you trying to knock your opponents off the board or try to get closer in so you can score the points? But I'm, I'm also going to go with a dexterity game. I really like coconuts quite a bit. I just feel like it's so approachable. It's very easy to pick up. I don't like playing with the power cards. I just feel like that's kind of an unnecessary add-on. Mm. But I think you can just kind of set it up. It's very simple. The catapult is tons of fun. It's very colorful. And it's immediately pretty clear what you're trying to do. Fling the coconut using your little monkey catapult to get into the cups. But then they have that added element of when someone's getting closer to actually getting their pyramid of cups on their side, maybe it's time that I start trying to shoot my coconut into their pyramid and steal cups away from them. So I enjoy that game quite a bit. I think it's a lot of fun, and it's been a huge success. Yeah, that was one of the first games that kind of came to my mind was Coconuts. That, you know, maybe the first thing that I always show people are they're like, oh, so they're coconuts because monkeys are immediately are not <laughs> famous for flinging coconuts. They're used they're, they're other brown objects. They're used to flinging. So when I was at the May Day table at Board Game Geek, they were like, they're coconuts. They're coconuts. Yeah, they're coconuts. <laughs> it's exactly. on the box. I, that but literally the, never occurred to me by the way, <laughs> until this moment. And now it's forever ruined. So thank yeah, you. Rich, you cannot unsee it. I am sorry. <laughs> but um, but the thing, the magic thing about coconuts is, is that they, they have an eyebrow raised until you, 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 they fling it once and then it's over. Like they're just, almost everybody I've played with, just the second that they shoot their first coconut, it's just like they're just hooked. You know, yeah. they're just hooked and they think that it's really cool. If I could go, Jonathan, uh, funny thing that, that I was thinking is I'm going to go with a little bit more of a, with a little bit different of a game, I'm going to go with uh, Ink and Gold. Really? Um, Ink and Gold is one of the is one of the Eagle Griffin game bookshelf games, and it is a game that I think I don't usually, like I said, fly around that word elegant, but it is just a, it's an amazing game, and I think it really taps into a magical mechanic that I think it applies to both kid and adult, and that's kind of that push your luck mechanic. The game is honestly as simple as, are you going to stay or are you going to go? And you just make that decision over and over and over. And I think kids can learn how to do it. You get couch it as, look, there's this Indiana Jones game. And, you know, does your Indiana Jones want to stay longer to try to get more treasure? Or do they, do, they try to, do they try to bounce out? I've played this with younger kids around the, you know, between four and six. And there is there is an excitement that the kids like they're on the same wavelength as the parents of oh you know oh I hope I don't get another hazard I can't get that other hazard you know and I think if you can really kind of get that excitement thing the kids really glom onto that and I've seen kids win I've seen like six year old kids win you know because they leave they can leave at weird times and maybe the card flips you know there's a lot of luck in the game it really has a unique thing it's it's a half an hour long. It still has a lot of decisions to offer and that, that kind of that cool excitement that I think really kind of uh, helps people catch on to the board game hobby. That did not even remotely pop up on my, on my radar for, you said four to five? Yeah, yeah, four to five, four to six, yeah. Okay, interesting. Rich, have you, have you, you've played Ink and Gold, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, I enjoy it. Have you played it with your kids? I have not played it with my kids, but it's not a bad idea. I actually don't own it, but it's a game that I think they could get. I lo- I do like the idea of introducing the press your luck mechanism to mm-hmm. kids because I think it's it is sort of a hallmark of 
kind of the rest of their lives, whether it's game related <laughs> or not. It's like, you know, what is this bird in the hand worth? I, th- I think that's actually, a, I, I kind of uh, like that choice. Great. Fantastic. Jonathan, you are the only one that's not gone. Have we stolen all your ideas? Uh, yeah, you have. No. <laughs> um, I'm a little bit stumped on this one because my kids are, are a little bit older. And I was just trying to think back to some things that we played early on. But one from my youngest son, he really loved was it's a Marvel dice game. Comes in a little miniature lunch pail type box, and it has these three chunky dice. It has cards, and so you're you're going through the deck. You have different villains that you face, and they all have either a Hulk, a Captain America, or a Spider-Man symbol on them, or some mixture. And some of them may have multiples. And so you roll your dice, and you try to decide, you know, which of these you're going to capture from this central um, offer pool. And then there's some special cards that will come up. You start the game with a Captain America, Hulk, and Spider-Man card that you can spend kind of as a wild to add on. And you kind of have to decide when you're going to spend that, you know. There's not a whole lot of decisions in the game. It's pretty random, but there are some some decisions, you know. Do I want to go for this big guy now or do I want to capture a couple little guys? And um, then you add up all your points at the end of the game. But my, my kids really liked it, especially my youngest son. Interesting. What was that called again, Jonathan? Yeah, had to ask me that, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know off the top of my head. It's it's just a Marvel dice game. Oh, well, we'll we'll have to figure that out and maybe add it to our, our our next podcast. So Marvel Marvel dice game that's not dice masters. And it's not dice masters. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. No, the dice are are very big. You know, they're real chunky. All right, fantastic. I did have one more thing that popped in my mind. Uh, I know in your last podcast that you did, Rich, you were talking a little bit about Settlers of Catan and how using that as kind of the introduction to bigger and better board games that are out there. Because, you know, that was my introduction to hobby board gaming, but now I've discovered there are substantially better games out there. Uh I'm kind of curious, have you guys, have any of you played the Catan Jr. or like the kids of Carcassonne, or I guess it's now called My First Carcassonne. What are your thoughts on using those games as a way to introduce kids to some of those more hobby-focused games? I, I um, own and have played both of those with my kids. They, you know, the, the four-year-old, it's a little advanced. They, he's played both of them, but even trying to describe to him the ramifications of his decisions, it's too much for him to grasp. Yeah. That said, he actually did quite well at the Kids of Catan one. I think that they're both, I mean, my daughter loves both of them and can play both of them at at, at, at an exact level you would hope she could play them at. She, she totally grocks both of them. She totally gets it. She uh, makes educated decisions and plays them well. I think they're both uh, actually quite nice distillations of the games that they are representing. I mean, neither of them are the games that they're representing. Neither of them. It's not Catan and it's not Carcassonne, but it is certainly a nice distillation of, of its parent game. And I think it will make it easy when eventually you want to show them the, the big brother quote unquote uh, to, to those games. Fantastic. Jonathan, I don't think you've played them. Clint, have you had any exposure with those? You know what? I haven't had the chance to play. Okay. I've had relative relative success, and actually, with a little tiny bit of help from me, Logan actually beat his mom at Catan Jr., which she still tosses up as she was distracted at the time. But 
we're not going to let her live that one down, unfortunately. Did you did you find that actually, oddly, the Catan Jr. game was easier for your kids to grasp than the kids of Carcassonne one? Yes, absolutely. And Why become, is that? I don't because know. I can't I can't quite figure that out. Because the kids of Carcassonne one is on its surface simpler, mm-hmm. but my four year old had an easier time playing Catan. He, a four-year-old, was able to look at a card and say, to get this item, I have to spend these cards or these tiles. That's awesome. And I was absolutely flabbergasted. But again, and so I thought, well, he's a genius and he's going to (laughs) rule the world. But then I showed him Kids of Carcassonne and it was like a foreign language. Mm -hmm. No matter how many times, obviously for those who haven't played it, it plays very differently from, uh, again, its parent game. All sides of all tiles match up. So you can put any tile anywhere. The goal is to get as many of your colored characters on a road that they're printed pre-printed on the tile to get as many of your colored characters on a road as you can when it's completed and he just could not wrap his tiny brain around it it was it was really frustrating for him but again i i find that to be i guess it's a totally different part of your brain that you're using uh so he's again still a genius in the other part of his brain so let's not uh, <laughs> i won't you have go. you calling my child names um <laughs> but uh but but i was just a little surprised by that i guess it it was far less uh, accessible for him the carcassonne version i've had the exact same experience and it, it was completely opposite from what i expected but yeah, i, I feel too. like i feel like katan junior cuz i know they've renamed there's different versions and they have different names but i feel like he's been able to maybe it's just the the pattern recognition that i need these these set in certain tokens to get this to be able to put this on the board yeah. I, I don't know i was completely kind of blown away that he was able to grasp that easier so i i have to i mean look i I've, I've made no secret i'm not a giant katan fan uh right. but i really do believe that that kids of katan game is one of the best stepping stones from those hobby games you know all the ones that we were talking about sorry sliders all those super basic games mm-hmm. it's an excellent stepping stone to get into those sort of low level you know to get into like splendor for example i mean i don't think you're not far behind splendor with katan junior you are you are knocking on splendor's door so i think it's a it's a neat stepping stone fantastic i couldn't agree more so do That's you awesome. guys have any other questions for Rich before we let him go? Rich, uh, the only thing I'd say is just thanks. That was great. Oh, no, thanks for having me, you guys. I'm, I'm glad that we were able to work out a time. Yeah, absolutely. So I would certainly hope that we'll be able to hear more of your podcast of Cardboard. I know you're taking a little bit of a break from it for now, but I know that I've definitely been enjoying listening to your podcast as well. It's been great. I appreciate it. Thanks for checking it out. I, I, you know, look, I love making the podcast. It's all a question, as you guys know of time of trying to find a way to make a podcast that makes you right around zero dollars uh, <laughs> fit into your life where you're trying to like keep your, your children alive yeah i know so it's 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 all it's 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 a challenge but i you know i would i i hope there's more soon as well absolutely well i i feel your pain i every week when i'm editing a podcast i'm like how am I doing this? How am I how am I getting my adult responsibilities done while I'm doing all this editing? So, but again, thank you so much for joining us. We really do appreciate you being on the podcast with us and we absolutely, absolutely wish you the best of luck in your future endeavors. Thanks very much. Same to you guys. Uh, I appreciate it and, and we'll hopefully talk soon. Okay, sounds great.
So I believe that brings the conclusion of episode number 11 of the Punched and Played podcast. As always, you can like us on Facebook, you can follow us on Twitter, at Punched Played, and you can also find us at our website at punchedandplayed.com. Until next time, remember, if you're going to punch them, make sure you play them. <laughs>